the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, do you have that image in your head of the Norman Rockwell perfect Thanksgiving? I lived in New England for a while and went often when my relatives would come to visit to the Norman Rockwell Museum, and I still have it etched in my mind. The pictures of the perfect family, maybe four generations of people all sitting around the table with all the perfect foods, and everybody has that look of love on their face, and their hands are folded, and they're praying, and Grandpa is leading them in the prayer. It's wonderful, right? It's a good picture. And then if you look through the window of the dining room, the leaves are falling. Maybe there's a fire going in the fireplace, and it just adds to that sense of how beautiful it is. And you know that all the foods are not only the traditional foods, but maybe they're foods that have been passed down from generation to generation, so you have to make great-grandmother's beet salad because it's just a family tradition, right? Or whatever she did. And then, um, you know, at that time of prayer, it's the eldest in the family who usually prays on Thanksgiving, right? At least it was in my tradition. So you can almost imagine in this Norman Rockwell picture the perfect prayer, all the things we need to be grateful for, and remembering the poor, and remembering the ones who brought all this food to our table, and remembering God's love and grace. Amen. So the real question is, does anybody have a perfect Thanksgiving like that? <laughs> They're pretty stressful, aren't they? And then you throw into the mix people who have dietary issues, right? So is the stuffing gluten-free? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, if I gave a list of all the things that I'm allergic to to everybody who cooked for me, or every time I went to somebody's place, they would never invite me back. And so then you have around a typical, in our experience, Thanksgiving, people with different opinions, and you're trying to juggle everything and everyone. You know, to even schedule it can be so complicated because the football games and the parades and the driving to Fresno and the, I mean, it's just crazy sometimes what we put up with when we try to get a large group of people together for Thanksgiving. And then we also need to remember that not everybody is all that happy to be with their family or their friends. Or maybe in the course of the last few weeks or months, there's been a tragedy. And so they come with sadness and grief and ideas that are anything but grateful. And so it takes that perfect picture of Norman Rockwell kind of out of the way then. 
If you know a little bit about the history of Thanksgiving in this country, you know that it wasn't out of a sense of abundance or necessarily good harvest um, or thanking God for all the things we have. That's not how Thanksgiving started. It started uh, because people were grateful after a long time of famine and starvation and a war. And so the first Thanksgiving proclamation was actually issued in Charlestown, Massachusetts on June 20th, 1676. And then it was 200 years later that Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving, not long after the Civil War, which had devastated the country's resources and demoralized its citizens. No one anticipated that the Civil War was going to last two years. People thought it was going to last three weeks or four weeks. And really, no one would begin to understand the changes that took place because of that war and how many people would be lost in it. So Lincoln invited his fellow citizens to set apart the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to God, offering praise for deliverance and blessings, but also as a day of penitence and a day of supplication, remembering all those who were struggling and suffering because of the war. Today's second lesson, tonight's second lesson from uh, Philippians was not written in a time of peace or tranquility or good, bountiful harvest either. Yet Paul implores the readers of his letter, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He wrote these words to bolster the spirits of Christians who were being persecuted and martyred because of their beliefs and faith. And it wasn't anything lighthearted. It was serious. People were struggling, losing their life. But yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And he doesn't say it like, this is what you might try because you'll feel better. He says it as a command. Rejoice, period, in the Lord. It's kind of like maybe the Lutheran liturgy. I don't know if you ever noticed the little notes in the hymnal. We don't really use the hymnal much anymore, and I don't know that you have the notes in here, but in Lutheran liturgy, there are things that we shall do and things that we may do, right? So what shall we do? We shall have an opening hymn. We may have a confession. We shall have prayers. We may say a creed. 
that kind of thing. We can mix and match and pick and choose some things. But in terms of being grateful, in terms of being thankful, there isn't an option. It is a shall rubric. It struck me in the first lesson from Deuteronomy, there's a long list of things that we shall do. You shall take some of the first fruits of all the fruit. You shall go to the priest. You shall make a response. You shall celebrate. How interesting that both the duty of offering and celebration are mandated. It's what makes us full Christians, well-rounded in our faith and our practice. It's not a mild suggestion. It's not brought forth as a new idea. It's like, oh, maybe we ought to do this. It was not contingent either upon the bounty of the harvest or the economic health of the family or tribe or whether anyone even felt grateful. It was, you shall do this. Offerings and celebrations and being grateful were required regardless of the external situation. This mandatory Thanksgiving meal focused God's people on two things, both of which were gifts from God. The first was the goodness of the land, which sustained them. The second was the story of their own deliverance, how God had been with them and brought them from slavery into safety. There was a confession of faith, a declaration of what God had done on their behalf, and their rituals were clear recognition of God's action and their response of thanksgiving. In some contexts, Thanksgiving Day is only a day to list all the things you're grateful for and maybe to start making your Christmas list and maybe a little shopping along with it. And many people will leave their Thanksgiving table full and then not really fully thinking about all the things that maybe they ought to think about on this day. Thanksgiving, being grateful, taking time to pause and reflect is not related specifically to our own situations. It's not about what we have or don't have. It's not about bounty or wealth. It's not even really about happiness in our lives. Thanksgiving, I think, is more this. It's more remembering who we are. It's remembering the community of faith that we're a part of. It's remembering God who we're connected to in covenant, in baptism. It's about recognizing and bowing before God's loving goodness, which is shown to us in so many ways. 
in the course of a day, and then it's even unimaginable to count all the ways that God becomes evident in our lives in a lifetime. Thanksgiving is about receiving into our lives the bread of life who satisfies all of our hunger and gives meaning to our life. Today, tomorrow, every day, no matter our circumstances, maybe this can be our prayer. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Amen.